Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, everybody. Well, uh, we just wanted to come on real quick and explain a few changes. You may have noticed uh, there are a couple changes, things happening uh, on the show we wanted to explain to you what's going on so that uh, you're on board with us. We recently signed on with a podcast network that is going to significantly increase the the reach and the scope of our podcast. And part of that means uh, that we're going to begin to run ads on our program. Some of these we will read. Some of them will be slotted into specific places in the podcast by the podcast network itself. That's right. Uh, so we are part of Airwave Media. We're very pleased to be a part of Airwave. It's going to be great. Uh, you know, the ads that you hear, just know we don't have a lot of control over which ones they are. We have chosen broad categories to exclude, but hopefully you'll hear only ads that you like. If you want an ad-free version of the show that's still available over on Patreon, all of our patrons get an ad-free version of the show. Otherwise, Thanks for being with us, and, and, and we're excited about this opportunity, and here's the show. So I think what we have here is a reflection, an echo of this idea that there are angels bound. Uh, only here it's placing them at the Euphrates River. And when they are set free, they're going to go and marshal an army of 200 million cavalry and their horses are going to have the heads of lions and that are going to breathe fire and their tails are going to be like scorpions where uh, are you going to find 200 million lion-headed horses <laughs> i just i you know you can barely find two of them there's not a market for that anymore um <laughs> it is dried up just like the euphrates <laughs> Hey, everybody. I'm Dan McClellan. And I'm Dan Beecher. And you are listening to the Data Over Dogma podcast, where we seek to increase the public's access to the academic study of the Bible and religion and combat the spread of misinformation about the same. Uh, how do, Dan? Hey, man. I am excited. We are... We're going to delve into some some crazy stuff. It's going to get weird, that's for sure. Uh, and, this, this, and stuff that some people are still uh, flogging as potentially possible now. We're going to find out. We're going to find out if, uh, if there is just literally underneath the surface, crazy things lurk here in the modern world. Yep, we're going to... Uh, respond to a popular TikTok video from a popular creator that is going to remind those of you who are of a similar age as Dan and myself of an old Simpsons episode <laughs> that involved Lisa Simpson and her skepticism. So uh oh skepticism <laughs> coming up. Uh, that sounds like it is time for a patented Dan McClellan catchphrase. Why don't you hit us with it? All right, let's see it. 
And today we are looking at a video from uh, a gentleman who is on a handful of different social media platforms, uh, goes by the handle Khalil Storyteller on TikTok. Uh, I'm not sure if that's their real name, but uh, they're going to talk a little bit about the Euphrates River. And uh, this is something that has been in the news quite a bit recently and has been all over social media. But let's see what... Uh, to what be clear, the river is real. The so river is real. We're starting with a real river and uh, <clears throat> and we'll go from there. Yeah. And this has as much relevance to the accuracy of these claims as the reality of New York City has to <laughs> the reality of Spider-Man. So um, let's get into the first part of this clip. Have you guys heard of the scary things happening at the Euphrates River? It's one of the longest rivers in the world and it's located in the Middle East. But lately it's been drying up and in 2020 they started finding ancient caves that revealed themselves while the river was drying up. The caves and structures had been there all this time and no one knew about them. Okay, we're going to pause there and talk about the two claims that are made here. One, that the Euphrates River is drying up and two, that ancient caves that nobody knew about are uh, being uh, unveiled. Yes, yeah. by the lowering water levels. Um, <clears throat> the first claim is is uh, accurate in a lot of ways. The Euphrates River, the water level, has been going down, and this is something that has been somewhat cyclical. Uh, every few years, the water level goes down because of the convergence of a number of different factors, including climate change, uh, but probably more directly related is a bunch of dams have been built uh, further upstream uh, on the Euphrates, and more people are diverting water further upstream, and less water is able to make it down into particularly the southern parts of Iraq. So this river that used to feed so much of Iraq's uh, agriculture and their society is partly because of uh, natural things that ultimately come back to um, human-caused um, problems and um, other issues related to uh, dams. Now, in yeah. the video, this creator shows two satellite photos, one that shows um, a reservoir uh, on a little bend in the Euphrates River, chock full of water, and then one that shows it looking like a little trickle. Now, uh, there are a number of things to note about this. One, that's a reservoir where somebody dammed up water, and that's why it is so full in the one picture. In the other picture, there was a drought because this was back in 2009. That's where there was a very serious drought that lowered the water level uh, significantly as much and even more so in some places than it has been recently. Um, <clears throat> so that satellite photo is showing circumstances 13 years ago. If you go on Google Earth and look for this reservoir today— you will see that it is back to almost the height of uh, the water level that you see in the first picture. Well, Dan, I feel like you're uh, you're poking holes in this guy's story, and that's not very nice. <laughs> I, I, one also wonders if the uh, if the Book of Revelation has anything to say about the Colorado River because it's in a very similar. <laughs> well, uh, I'm um, in in fact one of the videos that was done maybe six months ago that was that was trying to leverage this claim. Uh huh took a photo from, they, they had a, a handful of photos of like dried up parched riverbeds right. and they insisted it was the Euphrates. One of them was from a river on uh, the island of Lesbos in Greece uh -huh. and the other was of the Colorado River. <laughs> so 
So well, I mean, you know, we've been we've been uh, we've been really drinking that one dry. So I, yeah, so yeah. It, it makes sense. But um, the other claim here that this is uncovering um, caves also is only partly true, mostly false. Okay. See, back in uh, a lot of these dams that have been built, some of them are to create reservoirs like the one in the satellite photo that gets shown all over the place without showing you the years. Um, that flooded some cliffs, and we've known that there were ancient tombs carved into those cliffs. So it was like the 80s or the 90s when they originally created this reservoir and flooded this area and submerged all these uh, rock-cut tombs from antiquity. So in 2008 and 9, when there was this drought and these water levels uh, lowered, that was when we saw these rock-cut tombs. And people went, oh, forgot those were there. And they're just tombs. They're not prisons. They're not uh, caves that people were living in. They were just rock-cut tombs. I and mean, you say that, but, <clears throat> like, the difference between a tomb that contains a human uh, corpse and a prison for an angel, <laughs> we might be talking semantics at this point. <laughs> um, not really. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> let's uh, let's go on and uh, and hear yeah. a little bit more from this creator. Yeah, and so uh, what is being revealed is is a handful of these rock cut tombs, and so yeah. we've known about this. It's not something nobody knew was there. Uh, so the creator's claims there are uh, false. Now this is the scary part. The river drying up is actually in the Bible, in the Book of Revelations, chapter nine fourteen through nine fifteen. It says, "Release the four angels who are bound at the great river of Euphrates." It then goes to say that the angels will be released to kill a third of mankind. That's around 2.6 billion people. Okay, so a couple of things to point out here. First, he says the river drying up is in the book of Revelation. And then he shared a handful of verses that don't mention anything about the river drying up. He's talking about Revelation chapter 9, where it talks about four angels being bound at the river Euphrates. Okay. Uh, it's in Revelation chapter 16. It's an entirely different story where it says that the Euphrates will dry up so that the kings of the east can march across and go to battle against uh, the land to the west, the nation okay. of Israel. And so these are two separate events within this mythical narrative of the book of Revelation, separated by six chapters. So it is... It is um, kind of a bait and switch. It's uh, manipulative to try to connect these two events. They're not connected in the actual text. But they both itself. take place at the Euphrates. So checkmate, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the, the Euphrates was one of the most significant rivers uh, in the, uh, the world of ancient Israel at this time. That was the river that fed the civilizations of Mesopotamia that frequently uh, exercised hegemony uh, or rule, uh, oppressive rule over the nation of Israel. So it was a symbol of this oppressive regime and these empires that existed off to the east. Okay. okay. Let's, hear, let's hear a little bit more of... Uh what all this means. All right. Now people have recorded and heard screams coming from the ground before. So 
So this this is a uh, video with audio that has been um, shared a number of times on social media recently. The idea it's being, horrifying. I'm going to give it to him. That is a th- those are <laughs> yeah. very scary sounds. Yeah. Uh, that he just played. And the video shows some shaky kind of found footage style um, imagery of what looks like some kind of excavated area, uh, some uh, dirt and stuff like that. Yeah, it looks like, you know, they found a place where there's a hole in the dirt. Who knows what it is? But this is, uh, and the problem with suggesting that these are sounds of angels that are bound under the drying up Euphrates River is that... This video has been on the internet for almost 10 years, and the audio is very clearly added to the video. It is not part of the video because when (laughs) it was originally shared back in, um, I think, 2015 or 2016, uh, it was kind of... uh, it was shown as part of like a newsreel, like somebody mm. put a a popular um, Arabic news station's frame around the video right. and presented it as um, something entirely differently. But the audio repeats at the okay. end of the full video, the track repeats. <laughs> and so it's very clearly somebody's audio overlaid on on this video. But when this was originally shared, well, not originally, uh, but when it became very, very popular, when it was shared millions of times, was just after the assassination of a, uh, a famous slash infamous um, Pakistani cleric named Sami ul Haq. Okay. And the claim back then in late 2015, early 2016, was that this was footage of um, this cleric's grave and this was audio of him being tortured uh, in his grave as oh um, part of what I understand is uh, one stream of tradition within Islam regarding uh, unrighteous folks. Um, but who would have thought, can I just say, who would have thought that one of the angels of the apocalypse would be a Pakistani cleric? It's, it, <laughs> you don't see yeah. it coming. And um, and he uh, didn't really hit the bullseye when it came to where he was supposed to be bound. Yeah. Um, Pakistan is is at some distance from the Euphrates River. It's um, a little ways off. Sure. If my if my uh, middle school geography uh, <laughs> is is um, accurate. Yeah. Now, um, and the other thing to note is that the video actually was uh, people have found that video posted online even before. That Pakistani cleric was uh, assassinated, and Man, so th- this just is just take your own that, video. If you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna do a, <laughs> a a conspiracy thing, just don't don't go recycling other video. Take your own. Go to your backyard, dig a hole, and and make your own video. That that requires initiative. It requires effort. Effort. <laughs> it requires creativity. In some instances, it requires money, and and that's I think a bridge too far for a yeah. lot of our uh, conspiracy theorists. And so that's absolutely not audio of uh, bound angels. I know that has really freaked a lot of people out recently, uh, but it has absolutely nothing to do with our text from Revelation, which is not about the future anyway, as right. we have discussed before on yeah, Bart this Ehrman very podcast. Set us straight on that. But I will say this: like the other thought is, people have been living along the Euphrates since biblical times, since Revelation was written. Uh, and nobody's heard that screaming, howling, whatever. 
the whole time it like it apparently couldn't resonate through the water or whatever it just seems just try to be a, even a modicum of skepticism would be useful <laughs> yeah. for this all right let's let's mm-hmm. hear what else we got so were these caves and structures actually prisons for the angels and now that the river is finally drying up have they finally been released dun 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 yeah it's scary uh, out there D- remind us a little <laughs> bit what in Revelation, mm-hmm. what are these angels doing? So uh, these angels aren't really um, doing much of anything. They're just one of the one of the calamities that is supposed to befall the earth. And what's supposed to happen? We've got four angels bound at the Euphrates, and this is drawing from a tradition that was in circulation at the time regarding disobedient angels. Uh, and we'll talk a bit in our next segment about what that is about. But this is coming from traditions that are found in the Enochic literature and another Greco-Roman period literature, where basically there were some disobedient angels and they fell. And uh, in the book of Enoch, God binds some of them and they are um, like the um, Valley of Hinnom, uh, outside of Jerusalem is likely where the text is saying some of them are bound. It also talks about them being bound under mountains. Uh, and so I think what we have here is a reflection, an echo of this idea that there are angels bound. Uh, only here it's placing them at the Euphrates River. And when they are set free, they're going to go um, and marshal an army of 200 million cavalry. So soldiers on horses and their breastplates are going to be shiny and multicolored and their horses are going to have the heads of lions and they're going to breathe fire and their tails are going to be like scorpions. Where Uh, are you going to find 200, what what is it? 200 200 million. Million lion-headed horses. (laughs) I just, you know, you can barely find two of them. There's not a market for that anymore. Um, (laughs) It is dried up. And so, yeah, you will be lucky- (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you will be uh, you will be very lucky to find even one anymore in any kind of usable condition. Uh, and so, yeah, there's some people are suggesting on social media, ah, well, this must be Russia and China uh, collaborating because only they could uh, create an army that large. And that's laughable. Yeah. If the two of them put together all of their currently active and reserve military, they'd have maybe six million and not cavalry. So, yeah, there, yeah. It, the attempts to try to historicize this and, and make this about the future are just laughable. And so to, to answer this creator's question, uh, is this are these prisons? Is this angels bound? Are they going to be set free? The answer is, haha, absolutely not. <laughs> um, because the book of Revelation is not about our day. And and the final thing I want to add here uh, in reference to this claim about the Euphrates uh, drying up is that these water levels that uh, are being depleted uh, every few years because of climate change, because of dams diverting water, sometimes it's coming from other nations. This is ruining the lives of countless people who rely on this river for survival in ways that people who spend their days on TikTok, and I'm including myself in that, could never imagine. And so this is causing all kinds of suffering. And it is it is awful that people look at this and their first thought is not that 
there are a lot of people suffering because of uh, climate change and because of these struggles for access to water. Their first thought is for making videos about how the end times are going to be here so that they can exploit this end times anxiety, get more clicks, get more views, and in the end, I imagine, get more money. And so I don't think that this is even, uh, and, and even folks who are saying, well, this is for humor, or this is, I'm just asking questions, which is sometimes what these people say, uh, stop doing it. It yeah. is not helpful, and you're making light of circumstances that are ruining and even in, in some cases ending lives on the other side of the world. Well, and you're not even properly referencing what you're what you're claiming to be referencing. Like it's you're yeah. not doing anybody any favors warning them about end times that A were already meant to have happened. Yeah. Uh and B even if even if we were to interpret the book of Revelation to be saying, you know, the these end times are going to be you know, ap- applicable to now mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, you're bending and shaping the the Euphrates River to be different things. It's it's just every time someone goes looking for the uh, the ways that the revelation predictions are happening in a modern time, it ends up being destructive. It's not. It's never productive. It's never. And also, you know, not for nothing, it's never right. Yeah. You know, every time someone predicts, oh, what's coming, you know, we just had, we just passed another uh, rapture prediction yep. moment, Yeah, uh, which unless nobody was raptured, uh, did not come true. You know, yeah. it, maybe the rapture happened and like two guys <laughs> went and none of us knew about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's another uh, claim from the book of Revelation, this idea that there was a vision of uh, a woman travailing in delivery and she has a crown. Uh, of uh, of twelve jewels on her head, and the moon is under her feet, and people think this is the constellation Virgo, and and they they try to squeeze these things in so that it will make it relevant to today, uh, and yeah, it it never happens. It ends up causing an awful lot of anxiety. Um, I was fortunate enough not to be raised with any of that kind of uh, ideology, and so that's not something that that computes for me. Uh, but I understand that this causes untold anxiety in uh, the lives of, of people all around the United States and other parts of the world. And yeah. so, yeah, it is corrosive. It is not helping anyone. Um, it may get you a few extra clicks one day, uh, but is that really worth kind of cumulatively adding to the suffering that's going on uh, around the world? I, I saw a somebody put on TikTok a video where uh, somebody was like, uh, me waking up on September 20th uh, and they were like, time to go outside and fix the world now that all the problems are gone. And, um, <laughs> and yeah. then they go outside and everybody's still there. And they, oh, so darn it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So these videos are harmful. These videos are ignorant uh, and misleading. And um, that is some of the misinformation, the spread of which we are trying to combat on this channel. Indeed. Well, and there's more yet to come. Let's pause for a brief ad break and we'll dive into our next segment. All right. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, uh, for this week's chapter and verse, uh, we're going back to toward the beginning of the book, back to Genesis, uh, and we're in Genesis 6 now. And this is, there are other creators who are making interesting reference to this. This isn't from Revelation, but man, people are talking about this in in some fascinating ways. You're going to help me uh, help expound on it. Yeah. Um, we'll start with, the very first uh, first line of this, or the first verse, which is, when human beings began to increase in number, we, we're back at the beginning of creation. So, you know, we're sort of early Towards the on. beginning of creation. Not not all the way to the beginning, but yeah. Right. It's, um, yeah, we're still new. Human, is, humans are still new. We've just gotten through this long genealogy. So folks like Adam and uh, uh, folks like that have passed away. Oh, that's true. So, like, we... You know, if you if you refer back to our uh, episode on the patriarchs and mm-hmm. the age of them, we're we're many thousands of years, or, or, or <laughs> yeah, we're thousands of years into this at this point because those dudes were living for crazy crazy amounts of time. <laughs> uh, but it's still it's still human beings are still pretty new. So, yeah. um, I, and you know what, I I'm reading the NIV, so just okay. To, just to clue people in, it's just what uh, full disclosure, my, yeah. what my browser happened to pull up. So, okay, uh, when human beings began to increase in number uh, on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married them, or they married any of them they chose. Mm. That okay. Mind blown. <laughs> Who are the sons of God? What is happening? Yeah. Why do they get to choose all the pretty girls? What is going on? So the Hebrew here is B'nai Ha'elohim. So uh, son, literally sons of the God. Uh, and this is a term that uh, occurs a handful of times in the Hebrew Bible. Um, it occurs in Job, uh, talks about the sons of God shouted for joy at the foundation of the earth. Uh, it occurs in the beginning of Job, where uh, it says uh, there was a day when the sons of God uh, presented themselves before the throne, and Satan was among them. Uh, and it occurs in a, in a handful of other places. In, in Psalm twenty one nine, it's uh, the psalmist calls upon the here it's Bene Elim, a different form of the word for God, but it's still a plural uh, now, sons you, of God. Yeah, you say Elo, you said that it was Elohim. Now sometimes that word is a singular refers to yes. a singular god and sometimes that word refers to multiple gods right right yes do we do we know that this is a singular version of that 
of, of the use of that word? Um, it, it is possible it could be plural. It could be sons of the gods. Um, okay. Like that's not outside the realm of, of possibility. Elohim is uh, a concretized abstract plural. And I don't know if we've talked about this before on the channel, but this might be fodder for a future episode. But the idea is that uh, Elohim was originally a plural that began to be used as an abstract plural to refer not to deities, but to divinity. Mm. And then it became used so frequently in reference to specific deities that it became concretized, reconcretized. And so it can be used in reference to a single deity or a plural. And you can know uh, just by looking at the verbs and the pronouns. If they're plural, you have plural deities. If they're singular, you have a single deity. Unfortunately, here we don't have any verbs or pronouns associated with the word Elohim, so we cannot tell. We can only okay. deduce from, from usage. Um, and based on comparison with the other literature from ancient Southwest Asia, the other Northwest Semitic literature, the B'nai Elohim seem to be the second tier of deities in the Northwest Semitic pantheon, which generally had the divine pair at the top. So that would be the high deity and their consort. And their children, the B'nai Elohim, the, the children of God, would make up the second tier of the pantheon. And they would be responsible for the functioning of the universe. And then... According to some reconstructions, there's a third tier of craftsman deity, oh, and wow. then the the fourth tier would be the servile deities, the servants, which is largely in the Bible. This is messenger deities or angels. Okay. And so, so Genesis and six. All of here, them are chained up under the Euphrates. So, well, we're going to get to that. <laughs> okay. Um, they're not, they're not there yet. Okay. So, so Genesis six is uh, talking about this second tier, and it's kind of going to condemn them for uh, being a little too randy and um, not obedient enough to their station. Uh, and so they they like the looks of the human women, which is something that evidently the, the gods of the ancient societies, you know, that was their won't. Yeah. Um, and so they go down and, and um, took wives of all of those that they chose, which is going to result in something um, yeah. unfavorable. But we've got a this, verse in between this. Yeah, and, and it has echoes of, like you mentioned, of you know Greek gods and uh, you know taking human uh, brides or, or or human mates. Uh, it's it it's an interesting. The whole concept is fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let yeah let's move on. Uh, this is verse three. Then the Lord said, "My spirit will not contend with humans forever." For they are mortal, their days will be 120 years. Yeah. And and contend is uh, one interpretation uh, of the verb here. It's it's a very uncommon verb. It's uh, dun. Uh, so dalet vav nun uh, are the, the three letters of the verbal root. And it can mean contend if we hypothesize that it comes from a, a root a specific root. It could also mean remain or stay. Mm. And so um, the, uh, what does the King James Version say? Uh, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Oh, interesting. And, and I think some people understand strive in the, the martial sense, um, but the idea is remain with. And so this seems to be suggesting that there's, uh, and it says, you know, his, their days will be limited to 120 years. And this is basically... God saying, I'm sick of people living to be 930, 969 years. 
Uh, we got to put a stop to this. We're going to cap it at 120. Um, and that's my final offer. Um, so you got to imagine the Pawn Star guy going, best I can do is 120. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. And so the idea that the his that God's spirit will not always remain with with humanity with men seems to suggest that um, that human lives are kind of sustained by an indwelling of the spirit or or the companionship of the spirit. Somehow God's spirit is sustaining human life, and God's like mm, not anymore. And so. This is something that we see in in uh, the Mesopotamian literature, where the Sumerian king lists and different Akkadian uh, iterations of that have the the pre flood kings living or having reigns that are you know thirty eight forty two thousand years long, <laughs> and then after the flood, it's like you only get like twelve hundred years to reign. Right. So um, there's a big drop off as soon as you have the flood, and here we're setting the stage for the flood because. God doesn't seem happy about what's going on here. Verse three suggests that it is a result of the sons of God having um, offspring with the daughters of humans that he's like, uh, this is a problem. Um, yeah. And so the the solution is, well, we're going to cap the years. And then um, after the next verse, God's going to say, well, no, we need to we need to do more than that. We're going to destroy all of humanity. Goodness, that that sounds extreme. I'm. I will just say that. Uh, I'm, my mind made an interesting connection. Uh, it's a feeble connection, so I want. I wanted to check in with you about it um, because contending with God isn't it. Isn't that the meaning of uh, of a word that's that's uh, that's very prominent? Contends with God or strives uh, well, that with would God? be that would be the name Israel. Yeah. Yeah. So. so um, that's one way to interpret it. Um, I, I think more than likely the name Israel, the idea was El contends, God contends. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, there there are different ways to interpret it. And there's a little etiology in, uh, in Genesis. We have uh, Jacob fighting with God. Right. And, uh, and that's where God says, um, you know, weird story uh, where... We'll get to that one, I'm sure. Yeah, we're going to talk about that at some point. And genitals are involved. It gets weird. Um, <laughs> and then there's, there's, a, uh, there's a reference in Hosea, and Hosea suggests it's an angel. Uh, but I would argue that that's actually an interpolation. Someone has changed that. But but the, the story is basically an ideology for where Israel um, got his name and that it means contends with God. Uh, but that probably wasn't where that name, uh, what that name originally was understood to mean. Okay. Fascinating. Sorry about that. Just wanted to go down a little <laughs> rabbit trail right there. Uh, all right. I'm going to keep reading. Uh, okay. So, so we, we, we've, we've got human women being taken as wives by sons of God, the Lord getting a little bit uh, huffy about that. And then we get to verse four, which is the Nephilim were on earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old men of renown. All right. <laughs> Nephilim. I know that that is a can of worms right now yeah. on, on the internet. Walk us through it. <laughs> what have we got? What are the Nephilim? So Nephilim, uh, they're, 
there is some debate about what this means, but I, I think most scholars would probably say this comes from the verbal root nafal, which means to fall mm. and is frequently used to refer to um, dying. And I think the the theory that I think makes the most sense is that this is uh, a reference to an ancient tradition of of the spirits of deceased uh, warriors, people who fell in battle uh, and so were were um, celebrated as heroes of old, warriors of renown, uh, as it says. And there mm. is some there is a, a, some lack of clarity in this verse. Who are the heroes of old, the warriors of renown? Is it the Nephilim or is it the children of the union of the sons of God and the daughters of humans? It's not perfectly clear, and there are arguments for, for both sides of that, but I would suggest that, um, well, actually, I, I, I think they could, could work either way. It could be these demigods that were the product of this union became the heroes of old, the warriors of renown, but it could also refer to the Nephilim. A Hercules sort of figure. A, a yeah, yeah. And uh, and so there, there's an argument to make that there's there's some resonance with some of these other traditions about demigods from, from elsewhere in the world. Now, when we look at the uh, Greek translation of this passage, the ancient Greek translation, the Septuagint, it does not say Nephilim, it does not transliterate Nephilim like many English translations do today. It says oh. gigantes, which would be giants. So there are a lot of translations that render giants here uh, because of this Greek translation. And this is based on a, uh, a tradition that arose probably within the Persian period and into the Greco-Roman period. So we're talking um, the end of the 6th century up to 500 BCE, 400, 300 BCE. We have... Uh, the Enochic literature, like First Enoch, a very famous text that was phenomenally influential uh, within Greco-Roman period Judaism and early Christianity before finally being jettisoned uh, from most biblical canons. Uh, the Ethiopian Orthodox Tawakado Church still includes First Enoch in their canon. But First Enoch is is basically uh, a retelling of this story. This is the center of the story, and then several other stories from the book of Genesis. And it's expanding on things and it's building on this tradition because we just have these few little verses, and they seem to be. Uh, many scholars would say this is a fragment from some separate story and is just kind of inserted at the beginning of chapter six here to make it seem like there was some reason for God to be upset. Yeah, it does feel like out of the blue. It feels yeah. very uh, apropos of nothing. Yeah, because you could, you could take out uh, verses two and four and the story would actually make more sense. <laughs> like uh, there, the men began to multiply. So here's the NRSV. When people began to multiply on the face of the ground, daughters were born to them. Skip. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not abide in mortals forever. They are flesh. Today's will be 120 years. Skip. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great on the earth. Um, like it makes more sense without this. Right. But I, I think that the this story seems to be inserted in in here to give a better case that people needed to be killed. Um, by suggesting that there's all this wickedness and these monsters that are um, resulting from the wickedness of uh, the sons of God, who are reinterpreted in the Anakic literature as 
disobedient angels. Whoa. Yes. All right. Well, you dropped a bomb. We're going to take a brief <laughs> ad break and we're going to come back and we're going to connect all the, all the pieces uh, and tie it all up in a, in a bow. All righty. What's something you learned in history class that you feel wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. I believe that all history, no matter how good or bad, needs to be told. There are wars, massacres, battles, and entire historical events that are just not in our school's history books. Have you ever heard of Mary Bowser? I didn't think so. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. So come huddle around the campfire with me and get ready to hear the stories that you were robbed of. And get comfortable. We're going to be here a while. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty. And about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today. And join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode, where I'd like to tell you a story. All right. So when we last left uh, our heroes, we were talking about how these Nephilim, these giants, are somehow connected to angels. And uh, you're going you're gonna to figure that out for us. So yeah. what, what are we talking about? So we talked a little bit about the Pantheon earlier, where we have the high deity and their consort, and then their offspring are the second tier, and then we've got the servile deities, the angels at the bottom. Right. As we move into the Persian period and the Greco-Roman period, there's a, a lot more discomfort with the parity uh, between the different deities of the Pantheon, and you get a lot more um, exaltation of the God of Israel. Uh, we have this rhetoric of incomparability, and we have the uh, authors of the biblical and other literature championing Adonai as incomparable to everybody around them. And so we get kind of a um, what Seth Sanders has called Pantheon reduction, where other members of the Pantheon are like, eh, you're not, you're not welcome anymore, you're not good enough. <laughs> Um, and I suggest we get kind of a squeezing of the pantheon where Adonai kind of pops out the top as the main um, baddie, uh, and then uh, all the other deities get squished down into the bottom tier. And so the Bnei Elohim, the sons of God, are now squished down into the servile angelic tier. And so where they used to be the patron deities of the nations of the earth, they are now angels. And so in, in First Enoch, 
we have them represented as angels. And they rebel, they come down to earth, uh, they teach humanity all this wicked stuff like murder, uh, like <laughs> makeup. Um, oh. They teach them, yeah, that's in that's in First Enoch. Wow, um, all right. They, they teach them how to make weapons. They, um, like, basically all of the evil that is on the earth is a product of these disobedient angels coming down and teaching humanity about all this bad stuff. I'm just going to say murder and makeup do not feel like they are on the same plane. Uh, <laughs> those feel like two very different uh, levels of, uh, of naughty. I don't remember wh- if they occur, uh, if they are juxtaposed on the actual list or if they occur <laughs> farther apart. Um, okay. But you have, you have these angels being named uh, and, you know, so-and-so was the, you know, was whoever was knew about makeup or so-and-so right. was the one who knew about abortion uh, and, and uh, this kind of stuff. And one of the things that they do is that these angels sire offspring with human women. And initially they create the giants and, and uh, the giants uh, when they die, the, the spirits or the ghosts or whatever that, uh, that come from their corpses are the Nephilim. Um, and so, this is oh so the oh wow so they are dead giants they are they are expired uh, yeah it, it's and we've got a few different versions of this tradition but uh, in in the book of Enoch uh, the Nephilim are not the direct product of these this union uh, and so when we see Nephilim in the Hebrew Bible there's only one other place where the Nephilim are referred to and it's in I, I want to say Numbers. Uh, and this is where they have the spies they're sending into the land to see if Canaan is suitable for them to come in and take over. And they come back and go, oh, ah, yeah, we barely got out of there with our lives. Uh, they had the uh, the Nephilim or these, these giants who were like grasshoppers uh, to them. Uh, and so, which is probably one of the reasons that we have this statement here, uh, which is kind of peculiar. The Nephilim were in the earth on those in those days. And also afterwards, because <laughs> we're about to have the flood wipe everything that breathes out. Yeah. And so all the Nephilim are obviously going to be killed as well. And so we seem to have somebody who's inserting this story here going like, ooh, we got an issue here, boss. Uh, we'll just write <laughs> that they were there afterwards as well. Okay, that'll work. Um, they had and- snorkels. They were fine <laughs> yeah. through the flood. <laughs> They were very um, tall, so their their noses <laughs> yeah. did not go below the uh, the waterline. If and if I recall the uh, the book of Enoch, the first Enoch says that the the giants were like four hundred and fifty feet tall or something like that. Oh, that is that's so, quite tall. Yeah, pretty that big. Is, yeah, not not notice. Goliath. Yeah, not Goliath six foot four. Um, but uh, yeah, some. <laughs> we're, we're not we're not talking cubits in a span. We're talking yeah. uh, <clears throat> up there. Yeah. But you see the the influence of this tradition in a number of different places within uh, early Jewish literature and early Christian literature and in the Bible. For instance, uh, there's a part in uh, one of the epistles of Peter where it talks about the disobedient angels in the days of Noah. And that's mm. a reference to this. Uh, we've talked about uh, the book of Jude, where it talks about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah pursuing strange flesh or other flesh, um, sarcosateras which would be uh, other flesh. And this is most likely a reference to this idea that uh, angelic uh, or, or intercourse between angels and humans is, is a big no-no. Like this is the great sin 
that brought evil into the world is these angels having intercourse with the human women. And so that becomes the symbol of everything that's wrong um, is that intercourse. Uh, and there were even debates about whether or not this could actually happen. Uh, we, we see rabbinic debates about whether angels were sexually compatible with humans. Um, and, you know, some of them are saying, oh, well, what it really means is that the angels were in the room when the women were, were having intercourse with their husbands. And so that's what made their children all messed up. And I, I so, don't think that accounts for a 400 foot tall person, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. Hey, you know what? It does not uh, <laughs> tag all the bases. You are, you are correct. Um, <laughs> and I so mean, I can see why they would want to, uh, why they, why they would want to distance themselves from this idea. This idea is, I mean, it's more. It, I think it's fascinating. I think it's interesting, but it is a it is a rough one. I'm also confused. Let me ask you this. Um, I know that you you're going down a path. We'll get back to it. But I, I suppose it would be the height of foolishness for me to suggest. Are are there female angels that then uh, took husbands of humans, or is it just? male angels taking uh female humans as as their as their mates i i do not recall any references to to female angels and there is always a possibility that i am entirely wrong but mm. i don't recall any and i do recall thinking that the idea of female angels is entirely absent from this part of early judaism okay um so i'm going to say no uh, but I could be proven wrong, and and if there's a listener out there who can prove me wrong, please do so. Um, yeah. I love it. Um, <laughs> so getting back to the path, yes, these angels do not escape accountability. God punishes them, and this is another part of the book of Enoch. And one of the things that happens is they they get cast down. Uh, some of them, some of the named angels, are bound uh, in um, the Valley of Hinnom which is associated with child sacrifice in the Hebrew Bible, later is a symbol of hell. Yeah, and, we've talked about that a little bit. Yeah, and so this, this idea that these angels and the, the unrighteous dead are going to be kind of inhabiting this, uh, this realm is probably what starts the ball rolling on this idea of postmortem divine punishment uh, of hell. Uh, and so this tradition and the literature, the Enochic literature, sits at the foundation of a lot of the ideas that are going to be developing within early Christianity uh, and down to today. Uh, and so when we, when we talk about fallen angels— when we talk about things like hell, when we look at some of this literature that is very prudish about sex, a lot of this is based on these traditions that were in circulation in Greco-Roman period Judaism about disobedient angels coming down and inappropriately having sex with human women, which is one of the reasons that, like in the New Testament, uh, people are neither married nor are given in marriage in heaven, but are as the angels of heaven. This is a way to say, not the bad angels who had mm. sex, they're going to be like the celibate good angels who are still up in heaven. So there are a lot of different ways that we see echoes and vestiges of this tradition 
uh, within the Bible and, and elsewhere in early Christianity. And the book of Jude, I didn't mention it earlier, but the book of Jude actually directly quotes uh, the book of Enoch. Uh, and so when people talk about the book of Enoch not being scripture, not being authoritative, not being inspired, one of the authors of a New Testament text certainly thought it was all of those things. Uh, wow. And so we're rejecting that author's uh, estimation of uh, the book of Enoch when they quote Enoch and say the seventh from Adam and then shares a, a quote directly from the book of Enoch. So th this we skip right over this, over Genesis 6, when people are reading this. It's weird. We don't know what to make of it. It's, you know, just these two passages. These two passages have had an immeasurable impact on the development of Greco-Roman period Judaism, which is the seedbed for Christianity. Uh, and so we see the echoes of this tradition uh, down to today and so many of the ideologies, so many of the stories and so many of the traditions uh, of Christianity and even um, to a much lesser extent uh, within Judaism. That's, yeah, you know, it, it is easy when you don't understand something, you know, that you're reading in the Bible to skip down, especially when you know that like half a page down, we're starting a very familiar story of Noah yeah. And, uh, and, you know, you just want to get to the good stuff on that. But, like, yeah, there's this whole section that is befuddling and, uh, and confounding and fascinating. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons we have the Book of Enoch is because it's so befuddling. And so they, you know, we couldn't help but try to fill in the gaps because we go from, um, you know, these angels— they took wives of the women and then they had children with them. And then God saw that the wickedness of humanity was too much. And so what happens between verse four and five that this results in all this wickedness and you get the development of this tradition? Oh, well, maybe these angels were wicked angels and maybe they taught humanity all this wickedness and all this violence. And so it's kind of filling in the gaps in this kind of uh, fractured, kind of stuttered uh, story that is probably the result of people cobbling together different traditions to just try to get some kind of uh, rough narrative out the door. Yeah. Actually, I that's really cool that the Book of Enoch would go through that and, uh, and at least d attempt to fill in those gaps because it is confusing to yeah. jump straight to, well, everybody just got wicked. We got to kill all of them now. Yeah, and, I, and that, I think there's no there's no line drawn in Genesis that makes any sense to me whatsoever about how we got to that level of uh, of evil that the Lord had to kill everyone. Yeah, it's and and but this is how some of these stories go. It's just like we're in verse one. It's like so it turns out everybody was evil, um, <laughs> yeah. and you know. But uh, later on, people are like, eh, we should probably kind of ease our way into this one. We need to. Yeah. Baby Although steps. I got to say, whoever it was that inserted the Nephilim as like an explanation, you didn't do a great job. <laughs> like, how, how does that reflect on humanity that, that you know, the, the sons of God dive in and start taking uh, mortal wives? Yeah. How's that our fault? <laughs> why, why, why are you blaming us for that? Yeah, that yeah. Um, I, I, and I, and I think you know a lot of people use this kind of pejoratively or, or um, facetiously, 
But I think First Enoch is like one of our earliest really good examples of fan fiction. Yeah. This okay. is this is taking this story and going needs more. I'm gonna write my own version of this. I love it. Um, yeah. So well, um and you know, including all of the kissy face and stuff like that that so frequently <laughs> um goes on in the fan fiction. Well, you gotta include it. You gotta you gotta jazz yeah, it up somehow. That sells books. I do wanna get to we we teased it a little bit. How so you have talked about to me at least how Nephilim and giants are sort of showing up in creators, uh, yeah, like videos and stuff. Yeah, talk a little bit about how people are talking about that, what what they're saying, and uh, and and like why that might be coming up. Well, a lot of people uh, are only recently finding out about the Book of Enoch and think it's fascinating and think, well, this has been hidden from us for so long and and think this makes so much sense of the world around them, and so they want it to be. Um, something that is historical and something that is accurate, just as much as they believe the Bible to be historical and accurate. So where did all these giants go? Uh, and and so the, there is a remarkably durative contingent of uh, conspiracy theorists and, and social media folk who think that there are giants hiding out around the world and uh, oh, I think still of, alive. Yes, yeah, still alive. Oh, wow. um, and and like you hear this a lot about Kandahar. Uh, there, I don't know what the story is, but everybody knows a soldier who knows somebody in the army who, uh, can confirm the story that there are caves with giants in Kandahar and the U S military came across them and they're hiding (laughs) this. Um, and you know, once you get the military into the conspiracy theory, I mean, that's solid gold. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like somebody's gonna take that and run with it because the military is ultimately the source of all of our problems and also the solution. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> if Toby Keith is to be believed, uh, which he should not be, except for his song, I Should Have Been a Cowboy. Um, <laughs> I think that was Toby Keith. Was that Toby Keith? I don't even know. I could be wrong. That might not be Toby Keith. Another um, another way in which you might be wrong on this podcast. <laughs> I This is a bad episode for you. They're, they're piling up. Um, <laughs> and But we see... Uh, I forget what country was it in Switzerland. Somebody, somebody was taking video driving, uh, in, there was a mountain off in the distance and there were some, um, radio towers, but they could have sworn they saw a move. And so, uh, <laughs> they, they thought they were giants. And then like, bizarrely. I love the idea of us using Nephilim now just to hold up our wires or to, you know, to, <laughs> yeah. here, hold um, this dish and ang- angle it exactly in this direction because yeah. we need to. <laughs> and the, and there's a I don't know if it's true or not, but a, a lot of places re- are reporting that whoever recorded that video that that person actually died shortly after that, and so obviously mm. the military is involved again, um, assassinated them, and there's like supposed to be a UN base or something like that uh, up there, uh, and so there's there's no end to the imagination of folks who who want First Enoch to. Uh, be the thread that that ties all of this together uh, because giants are just so sexy these days, uh, <laughs> so hot right now. Um, and yeah, it's driving me up the wall. Well, look look for giants uh, everywhere you go. Maybe <laughs> look for their noses to be appearing above the, uh, the surface of the ocean because uh, apparently they can survive floods. So yep. why not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe look for them under the Euphrates. Uh, you never know. 
They're, they could be anywhere, chained up as just like the angels are. <laughs> We're going to have to do an episode on angels, I think, coming yeah, up soon. Yeah, that would be really cool. There's a the the whole concept is it gets weird, man. <laughs> uh, so we'll get into that. For now, uh, that's it. Thank you guys for tuning in to this week's show. Uh, if you would like an ad-free version of our of our show, we can, can do head that. On o- it is possible, <laughs> you guys. You head on over to Patreon. Uh, you can join up for not too much, and uh, you get to choose what level and become a patron of the show. You can also get the uh, Patreon only, the patrons only content over there. So that's a fun thing to do. Thanks so much uh, for tuning in. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach out at contact at dataoverdogmapod.com. Dan, thanks so much for another great episode. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Data Over Dogma is a member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. It is a production of Data Over Dogma Media, LLC, copyright 2023, all rights reserved.